Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Richard Grabowski, the Acting Program Manager of the Continuous Diagnostics and Mitigation Program at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency in the Homeland Security Department. Richard, uh, welcome to the program. Great to have you on. Thanks, Jason. Pleasure to be here. We're talking today kind of special violent CDM. It's been a while since we've caught up about what's going on with, the, with this program. And then we're going to delve maybe a little deeper into one piece of CDM around IT asset management. But, you know, Richard, before we go down that path, let's just get an update. What is the current status of CDM program? How are agencies progressing with the dashboard and shared services for smaller agencies and, and all these other topics that, that we've gone over and, and talked about over the last, you know, five, six, seven years? Yeah, things are going quite well. Um, I'm, I'm incredibly enthusiastic of the trajectory that the program has. Obviously, you had mentioned dashboard. You know, we are in the tail end of a, a significant technology swap out. So for those that don't know, the CDM dashboard is kind of like the central crown jewel of the system of CDM, right? So this, the, bringing all the different sensors together, bringing all that information together to really provide a comprehensive and detailed risk look across all the assets in the government, right? It's powered by a, a platform called Elasticsearch, and we've been actually implementing that over the last 18 months. Um, we're getting very close to complete. So we're successfully rolled out to uh, 15 out of 23 CFO Act agencies and 48 of 68 uh, non-CFO. So about 70%. You know, our goal here is to get them to 100 out of uh, 100%. So for us, that number is 91. We have 91 agreements uh, with agencies. So we're trying to shoot for that by the end of the fiscal year. So again, things are going quite well. We're actually rolling out our fifth update to that platform. So we have what we call different releases where we build in some additional analytics, uh, different capabilities, and then we upgrade them across the enterprise. And our fifth version of that dashboard platform is about to go out here imminently. It has some really cool features that I'm excited to talk about today. And so on the dashboard, uh, very excited. And we're seeing a lot of positive reaction uh, from our stakeholders. For those who don't know, we previously had a platform just uh, well, well, for good, very good use cases, it did okay, but for some of the mission that we're trying to grow into, it just simply couldn't scale performance-wise, so we had to make a, a very difficult decision to do a uh, revamp of the technology that powers the dashboard, and we've heard from all of our agency stakeholders very significant positive feedback and direction that we're going, and it's been borne out by performance metrics and usability uh, that we've been collecting statuses over the time. So that's dashboard. I mean, to, to go into shared services, which also has been incredibly positive for us. We've had a lot of agencies basically give us high praise on how zero touch the process is there. I'll tell you a little bit of an anecdote here. We've had one non-CFO act agency that is uh, signed up for that service where we talked with them in February and by April and May, they were already up and running. They had already finished their asset management deployment that already inc uh, included their data sets into the dashboard. And that is how fast that delivery model works and we're looking very, uh, very closely at that, that delivery model that we have for shared services as almost a model for something that we can potentially look at elsewhere across the enterprise in terms of leveraging SaaS, leveraging more, uh, putting more of the burden on, on us to, to help with deployments and tuning, creating standards so they don't have to customize it themselves. Uh, we have about 63 agencies right now who have signed up for that service, and we've seen a lot of progress. It's very cloud native. And the shared service platform, again, not to get too far ahead of myself, is built around the motif that there's a lot of federal agencies out there that are fairly small. They have limited resources and staff, right? And cybersecurity is not a simple uh, expedition, right? It's very complex, a lot of technology, uh, a lot of threats. 
And so this shared service platform was born on the idea that we could get some of these smaller agencies to collaborate and share resources and personnel to help them get to a standard of cybersecurity that otherwise they would never be able to hit. So um, again, very, very happy about where that's going. And we do expect by the end of the year to at least have 50 agencies fully invested, fully deployed on that shared service platform for IT asset management. All right, a couple things to uh, follow up with you on. First of all, great news, obviously, about the dashboard. The fact you have 15 of 23 CFO Act agencies, 48 of 68 non-CFO Act agencies. Uh, when you talk about they're seeing big benefits and, and, and big changes, generally speaking, and I know there's maybe some sensitivities always built in when we talk cybersecurity, but what are some of the things they're seeing that maybe they're getting today that they weren't getting previously or on their own? So I'll use the example of standards, right? So what CISA is doing, which I'm a huge proponent of as, a, as putting my program hat on, not necessarily my CISA hat, is that it puts out unambiguous standards about what is cyber relevant in terms of the objectives to meet, right? And we can build that into our processes and how we deploy things. Um, so to use the shared service examples, right, there is a lot of mandates and objectives that have been laid out via the cyber EO. If you look at some of the binding operational directives that CISA puts out, some of the emergency directives that we put out. So what we're able to do is give them turnkey features, whether it's in the actual cyber tools that feed the dashboard or within the dashboard itself, that all they have to do as a practitioner is go to the UI or go to the console and immediately see how they can meet those requirements without any staff burden, without any uh, uh, lag time to roll tools out. And we're talking about shared service specifically here. Um, and that, and, and almost kind of like support where they need it, right? So if you imagine a, let's say a 10 person agency where they have no cybersecurity experts, they get a mandate that to say, hey, go identify your critical software. I mean, that, that is not easy for somebody who isn't well-versed in IT management and cyber. And so they, they now have a support structure. They can reach out to us, they can reach out to our support teams and say, hey, what is, what is critical software? Where do I find it? And we can literally point them to a console or a login. And they're already kind of onboarded. They have the report they can put out. So that just kind of cements some of the foundational yet critical value that some of these foundational investments are contributing to, to the enterprise. And so that, that, that's been really, really exciting for me to see, especially as we start to onboard a lot more agencies and get them reinvigorated about how foundational, how critically important IT asset management is, not just for just general cyber hygiene, uh, but also zero trust as well. And we can talk a little bit about that as, as we go along. You bring up this idea of go find your critical software. It's a perfect example, I know, because in the cyber EO and, and some of the implementation from OMB, that was one of the things they had to do is identify and understand what's going to take to get the, this, this to reach near 100% or get to 100%. Is it just time and, and, and cooperation and effort? Or is there any challenges that you all are facing to kind of roll out the dashboard to the remaining specifically large agencies? Yeah, there's there's a lot of different challenges. So when we're always talking about technology and cyber, I mean, there's there's the, the old traditional. It's not just tech, right? It's processes and it's people. And one of the things that I that I continue to ha to to kind of put stomp is that IT asset management m might be construed as something that's simple. I mean, it's not, especially when you consider large large agencies. I mean, if you consider some of the agencies that we engage with, they have millions of endpoints, right? And so to kind of conceptualize how much data that is, it's incredible. It's a massive big data problem. So it's not something that you can just say, put a, put a date on it and then you're done, right? This is a persistent and continuous effort to make the right investments, but also back it up by processes. And we can talk a little bit about that here for a second. So 
one of the big efforts that we're trying to do this year and and impress on it with the agency isn't necessarily just buying tools, right? We just don't want to buy tools and then throw them over the fence and then hope that they stick. What we're trying to do is, um, and this is called out specifically in OMB memorandums, I think, I believe 2205, where we want to do a program review baseline where the agencies are, because we've been making investments in the program's been around since 2012, 2013. Uh, we've been around for a while. We've been doing IT asset management for a while. And so we're now at the point where we can take a little bit of a breather, take a look at some of these agencies that have been with us for a while, and kind of figure out what the current architecture, what the current state looks like, basically to get them to that home stretch, right? And so for this year, we've built out a lot of work with our SI community who helps us roll out things in the program to develop methodologies of what a baselining process looks like for the agency. And this involves looking at the tools that they have, what are the authoritative sources of data for asset management, looking at configurations. I talked about standards relative to CISA and BOS, and we have our own program standards in terms of functional requirements as well. Trying to figure out where agencies are, where are you in terms of being 100%? Are you, are you 95% there? Are you 35% there? The better that we can get that visibility into those architectures, the better we can document gaps in, in tooling, gaps in processes, gaps in configurations, and really reemphasize this foundational work to complete it before we start to move agencies into more advanced categories of toolings and initiatives, right? And so that's a very process-intensive thing that we're embarking on right now, and we picked it off this spring. It'll be very much top of mind for us as we track the progression across all the agencies that have been working on asset management for going on five-plus years. I'm glad you bring up the fact that this has been ongoing. And one of the things that I think CDM has done really well during that time is you were, you guys, and whether it was you or, or Kevin Cox or John Strifford before him, we were able to take a half a step back and say, okay, where do we go to next? What do we need to do to ensure that this program stays relevant? Because as you well know, cybersecurity changes every minute, every second, every, every hour. So you, you can't just sit back and go, well, we did asset management as an example once, so that has to be good enough. You have to kind of continue to go back. How difficult is that? Or because you have a lot of these tools in place, yes, this effort is time consuming. It's a ton of big data. But because of the tools you have been putting in place for the last 10 years, is easy, the, not the best word, but less complex maybe is the better word? Well, I want to go back to the, the thing you mentioned in terms of, of challenges, right? And, and this is also something that I want to make sure that the people who are listening understand is that this is not a zero or one ball game, right? Like, you can make significant investments in automation, in IT asset management, and still glean huge benefits, right? This isn't some magical inflection point where if I don't have 100% coverage and 100% of what exactly I need, I can't use it, right? We are actively at CISA using this data for the greater good to proactively identify risks to give those pointers to agencies. Um, there's a lot of geopolitical things going on right now. We have an ability to, based on certain things that we see and we hear about, provide very directive guidance to certain agencies. And even though some of these agencies aren't 100% there, they can still be recipients of that in information to help them you know, really fix the worst problems first, right? That's a common motif of the program. We have that capability. And so part of this is behavior and, and understanding in terms of who these some of these practitioners are. To you know, This is not you're not 100% that you're at zero, right? This is a maturation and you can yield benefits throughout the maturation. So that's a mindset change a little bit. And the other thing in terms of challenges as well is that the last, uh, I wanna say 12 months here, cause that's, that's about dating to the EO, right? I think the EO was released last May, right? The last 12 months have been incredibly busy um, for agencies, right? And so this is the people part of what I was talking about earlier. 
there just simply aren't enough cyber experts, broadly speaking. We are trying to beg, borrow, and steal time and resources across our federal civilian workforce and our contractors to meet so many different requirements. Uh, zero Trust, uh, Log4j, SolarWinds, uh, APTs. So there's a lot of things on our stakeholders' shoulders right now, right, resource-wise. So another challenge that we have to, to kind of be cognizant of is that there's only so many hours in a day. Um, CDM is just another priority to them. So we have to make sure that we're clear about how CDM prioritization helps them meet some of these other mandates. And that's an ongoing diligent effort that we just have to do with them in conversations. And we have very good comms with our CDM because we, our POCs at the agencies because we've been doing this for so long. They know us. They trust us. They work with us. And they know that they're at the end of the day, we're there to help them with their issues. And so that's really helpful to make sure that we stay on the top of mind of any kind of resourcing questions on the agency side as well. Richard, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. My guest today is Richard Grabowski, the Acting Program Manager of the Continuous Diagnostics and Mitigation Program at the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency in DHS. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Richard Grabowski, the Acting Program Manager of the Continuous Diagnostics and Mitigation Program at the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency in DHS. One of the things is you talk about the, the comms and the understanding with agencies, and it's not one or zero, it's you're along the maturity scale. And I know CDM stopped talking about phases and a number of years ago. Are, are, where are most agencies along the roadmap of CDM? I mean, I know you can't say, you know, are, are 10% here or 20% there? Do you have any kind of a sense of, of how our agency is moving up that maturity model? So one of the things that I want to be clear about as well is that the size of the agency can be directly correlated with how difficult rolling out some of these initiatives are. So we can talk about, let's talk about the smaller ones first, like, and then including that some of those shared service agencies that we were mentioning earlier. We see rapid adoption and maturation into IT asset management. Matter of fact, I don't see any reason why a lot of these smaller CFO and non-CFO agencies can't be done on some, when I say done, again, it is a continuous battle in terms of cyber, right? But what I mean by done is reaching a sufficient level of maturity and asset management deployments that make that platform completely fit for use for automation of FOD reporting, FISMA reporting, right? Some of the fit for use cases have always been part and parcel what the program does. Being sufficiently deployed, configured, and tuned to standards to basically not have to worry about manual data calls anymore. And also be proactive enough to say, when we see threats and risk out there, that we can understand comprehensively what a certain agency's exposure is to said risk. So that's kind of my definition of that. It's a little bit, well, it doesn't roll off the tongue quite as much as done, but, but that's, that's kind of what we're talking about here. So to my point earlier, I don't see any reason why non-CFO, uh, smaller non-CFO and CFO that are moderate to lower size can't be in that done category by the end of the calendar year or, or early next year. It really depends on, again, the resourcing question, right? How much when we come out. So the other thing, too, is that this baselining effort that I mentioned, right, this process of looking at where your current state, I'm going on the assumption that for some of the smaller agencies there and our smaller non-CFO uh, colleagues that, that we see very minimal gaps there that we can then mobilize the program to get them, get them completed, right? And so, again, that, that'll be a process that we do throughout this year and hopefully not too much in the next year, but the next year as well. But I don't see why they can't be out of that part and just say, hey, here's, the, here's where we are relative to asset management. We work for the program to bootstrap it, and we're at that point where we feel like we're kind of, quote, unquote, done. Let's move on to these other phases that you were mentioning. And so I've seen great maturation in IT asset management over the last three or four years. And I see also 
very early positive progress on on things like IDAM. And IDAM is a little bit trickier. So IDAM is identity access management. It used to be called phase two. It's really kind of getting that comprehensive user visibility of what users on the network, what kind of credentials they have, what privileges they have. I think the SolarWinds efforts and zero trust coming on the tail of that is reinvigorating the need to get a better understanding of users. So while I don't see IDEM necessarily as mature as IT asset management, broadly speaking, I think there is a lot of emphasis vis-a-vis zero trust to really get a handle uh, on things that are going relative to user privileges. And we are working with agencies to make sure that significant investments in things like privilege access management and uh, identity identity lifecycle management uh, are top of mind of agencies because these are tools that can help agencies uh, manage the risk relative to privilege scope creep um, and also create a single pane of function where they can track users and their privilege provisioning, their entitlements throughout the life cycle of that employee at that agency. And so now you don't have these very disparate silos of different privileges living in different areas. You can bring it all together and control it centrally. And that's a huge win in terms of making sure that the identity space, the privilege space, maintains some level of fidelity to your policies that the agencies have. Richard, you brought up a couple of the key words here. You brought up asset management, zero trust. I want to go down that path. But before I do that, let me just back up for one quick second and ask you about the shared services platform just briefly here. Obviously, good news. This is something that SIS has been working on for quite some time to to roll it out, to give, as you said, the smaller and micro agencies access to really advanced cyber capabilities. You said about 63 agencies have signed up for the service. You hope to deploy this to about 50 agencies. Can you give me a sense of what does deployment mean? Not oh, it's it's working, but like, oh, the services they will have access to are what? Can you give me just a sense? So our target there is to make sure that they have a robust, kind of that done definition that I was mentioning earlier, IT asset management minimally for those 50, right? So at the end of the day, when, when we say, okay, are they part of that 50? It's that they have comprehensive deployment of all asset management capabilities. That data is being fed to their managed dashboard system because that's the other part of this equation, right? We don't burden the agencies in that group with deploying a dashboard, that's zero hands-on, we'll deploy it, we'll maintain it, we'll integrate the data. And that's the other part I think that people don't realize is how complex building resilient data pipelines is. It's not it's not just roll something out, there's tagging, there's denormalization, there's all these complex activities happening there, but that's also included, right? Making that data pipeline from tools to dashboard resilient and accurate, so that's part of that 50 of the target, and then getting that data into the agency dashboard and and of course, into CISA's dashboard as well, which is the federal platform, which we haven't talked too much about. But that federal platform gives us the ability to get comprehensive enterprise visibility into risks, um, assets, identities. Um, it helps us also uh, chase some of the threats down. We haven't talked a little bit about EDR yet, but that's also a very big priority for us. Um, and so that when we talk about 50, it's the comprehensive IT asset management plus the data integrations into the uh, the dashboard ecosystem. All right, you keep bringing things up that I, I want to go back to. So let's let's talk about the CISA dashboard and what's the status of that. And I, I know uh, I wrote a story yeah. several years ago about how that dashboard is really one of the first, uh, one of the big cyber attacks that we saw maybe in, in 2017, 2018. That dashboard really played a big role. I think it was the, um, I'm losing the specific threat, but it was the Windows that didn't really affect healthcare companies, but not necessarily affected federal agencies. Jump into the CISA dashboard for me. What's the update? Sure, How's sure. it working? So, yeah, let me first explain to the audience, just kind of to re- reset the stage here. So the way that the architecture works for the program is that there is a, a peer dashboard that's very similar in code to the agency dashboard. The, the difference used to be uh, they would simply just get summary data sets from the agency dashboards to help us understand enterprise-wide type of risks. 
the one thing to get a little bit off on a tiny tangent here is that post EO, you know, the program was mentioned by name to revise our memorandums of agreement, right? And so the memorandums of agreement are kind of like the rules of how we engage agencies, how we how we participate, how we support them, to some degree how the architecture was supposed to work. The EO last year helped us get one of the constraints removed of the dashboard ecosystem, which was we no longer have a constraint to just summary data. We can actually employ object level data, and that's another priority for us of this year, right? So we want to mature the program in the dashboard ecosystem. So not only that we can see the summary data sets that are happening on the agency's network, but we can get a little bit more context to help agencies, right? A common question we get whenever we release something based on what we find in the CISA dashboard is, well, that's great that you can tell us it's somewhere in our agency, but we need more context to hunt this thing down. We need to know specifically where you found this. Traditionally, we would just point them to their agency dashboard and have them go hunt for it. But now with this new object level data feature, we can give them very specific telemetry so they can go hunt that down immediately. And so the CIS dashboard plays a large part in that. So going back to the, the architecture there, the federal dashboard kind of receives connections from every single agency dashboard that's actually deployed. So again, we talked 70%. All those agencies that built into that 70% connect up to this singular CISA uh, federal dashboard. It's powered by the same technology. Uh, it has the same syntax and query. It has the same data structures. And so this, if you can imagine, this is always looking for like a single pane of glass for, for dealing with cyber. The agency and the federal dashboard are kind of like the two sides of that glass. So agencies see one side, we see on the other side of it, but we can also coordinate because it is the same technology. We can say, okay, well, here's the query we ran and found it. You can literally copy paste this query and put it in your agency dashboard and see the exact same things. And so that's been up and running for quite a while. We, we actually manage the upgrade cycles of deployments in partnership with what the agencies are upgrading and deploying to. And so it's been running for quite a while. We have operators using it for, for identifying critical vulnerabilities. Um, so anytime there's a, you know, your next critical 10 level critical vulnerabilities coming out, uh, our operators are looking at the federal dashboard to kind of track to see what they can, can find from a machine data level perspective. And I think having that, as you mentioned, the data structures, the syntax, the query, all those pieces and parts together is what, what makes this effort work. If we don't have that understanding of what this issue is and where you think of it differently than me, then the, this whole process breaks down. That is, I know, also something that, that uh, CIS has been working on for quite a while. So obviously it sounds like it's working well. Maybe just a quick example, Richard, of whether it's Log4j or, or SolarWinds or something that you've able to use a dashboard to really say, hey, Agency X, here's a problem. Here's the information of where this maybe exists. And you broke down that complexity. Is there anything that comes to mind that you're able to share publicly? Let's use the BOD. The BOD's a good one, right? So, so the BODs effectively are vulnerabilities that go beyond simply a CVSS score. So a CVSS score is kind of a numerical score that kind of judges the severity of a vulnerability that's on software based upon the various factors that analysts look at. The BOD takes it to a completely different level. It actually looks at real-world threats against those vulnerabilities, right? So if it's actively being exploited within the public or private sector, the analyst that we have here in CISA will mark it and say, look, you really need to pay attention to this vulnerability because not only is it just some rem remote threat that's academic, it actually is being attacked in the wild, and you need to address this because this adversary could try to do it in your environment. So BOD 2201 has a catalog. They call them Known Exploited Vulnerabilities, or KEVs where they'd mark those analysis in those, that catalog, we actually tap into that and flag vulnerabilities that are detected in CDM with that label. And so to, you, to your question, one thing that we've been doing with agencies is just proactively 
telling them, hey, these are these are these are things that we think that are immediately going to be addressed by an adversary. Uh, can you go take a look and double check and see has this been has this been patched? Has this been mitigated? Uh, do an ad hoc scan if you want to confirm that it's there, but we did see it at this date and time. Uh, so that's a clear example of how we can provide some value there is because we have other sources of information that we can use to get very more prescriptive, right? Because you have to realize from the from the agency's perspective or from our customer's perspective, there's a ton of things they got to deal with, right? There's probably hundreds of thousands of vulnerabilities and you really have to start triaging. We talked about the person, the staffing issue, right? There's not enough people to chase every single one of these threats down. So you have to very take a very much a risk-based approach to how you deal with your mitigations. And so this is just another part of that equation, right? The more prescriptive we can be and to help them based on real world evidence that we can kind of glean, the better off they're going to be in trying to address those problems in a much more pragmatic fashion. So but the BOD 2201 is, I think, a clear example of that. The craziness about the BOD 2201, and, and I, I love the catalog because whenever I moderate a panel about cybersecurity, I always go to that and use that as the, my, my trivia question, right? How many vulnerabilities are in the catalog? And today it's 320, and next next week it's 350, and then following week it's 400, and it, there's always a changing number. So it's it's helpful just for fun, but also because that means it's helping agencies understand where their threats are coming from and what, what's the latest uh, update there. So I think that's, that's a lot of kudos to you all. Richard, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. My guest today is Richard Grabowski, the Acting Program Manager of the Continuous Diagnostics and Mitigation Program at the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency in DHS. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Here's Jim Westorp, Chief Technologist at Siena Government Solutions, on the discussion, The Future of Networking, sponsored by Siena Government Solutions. With the amount of capacity that networks can carry, we're trying to converge the network to support both packet type, but there's still a fair bit of legacy, older protocols. We're trying to put all that together and converge that into a single overall network. Listen to the entire discussion on Federal News Network. Search Siena Government Solutions. Government agencies are looking to modernize networks and migrate from legacy gear. Siena has a suite of packet solutions with adaptive IP capabilities to transform your network, adapt, or become obsolete. It's a choice. Whether your critical infrastructure supports legacy, modern, or emerging enterprise services, such as 5G, private networks, cloud, edge computing, or fiber deep, you need a scalable packet network that can adapt to drive your agency forward and be ready for the future. Learn more at ciena.com slash government. Here's Andrew McClenahan, the Senior Director for Market Planning in the Government Division at LexisNexis Risk Solutions on the discussion, Optimizing Your Agency's Digital Door to Drive Both Security and Equity, sponsored by LexisNexis Risk Solutions. And the way to help with that customer experience is bringing the physical identity data together and then streamlined experience across multiple states. Listen to the entire discussion on Federal News Network. Search LexisNexis Risk Solutions. Did you know that LexisNexis Risk Solutions has helped stop over 780 million cyber attacks? Assisted the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children in finding 800 missing children? Worked with the government to stop over $1 billion in fraud and improper payments? We help agencies achieve their missions to preserve program integrity, prevent fraud, and provide equitable access. Visit risk.lexisnexis.com to find out how our data analytics solutions can help your agency. That's risk.lexisnexis.com. 
season group and single game navy football tickets are on sale now the six game season ticket package includes the notre dame game at mnt bank stadium on november 12th and the season opener on september 3rd against delaware the jet flyovers parachute teams and brigade march-ons display the pageantry of navy football and tickets are available now at navysports.com don't miss all of the exciting american athletic conference action in historic annapolis and get your tickets today at navysports.com Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Richard Grabowski, the Acting Program Manager of the Continuous Diagnostics and Mitigation Program at the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency in DHS. Uh, Richard, let's shift just a little bit and talk about Zero Trust now. Uh, I think CDM, in many ways, was the precursor to this thing we call Zero Trust. If you look at all the different pieces and parts of CDM, it really is putting that Zero Trust approach to it. So help me understand where the alignment of Zero Trust uh, as we see it from this broad umbrella terminology or concept, and where does CDM help agencies with moving towards that architecture? And then we can jump into IT asset management as well. As you're probably aware, there's different pillars in this framework that we're talking about, right? You know, we publish a lot of guidance, NIST has as well, and industry, of course. But you'll you'll recognize that one of the pillars specifically says devices, right? We've been spending you know the last half an hour talking about asset inventories and, and devices. So you can kind of see almost de facto alignment there. To put stomp that, you can even look at some of the recent M memos out of OMB, I think it's 2209 in particular, where CDM is specifically called out under the actions for the device pillar. So I don't think you can get any more clear traceability than something like that in terms of how we fit into some of that strategy. And we're actively working with some of our zero trust needs internally at CISA to try to figure out how to use the program as a kind of responsible catalyst to not only look at devices, but try to figure out some of the, the sinew that connects the pillars, right? Like, because there's identity, there's networking, there's application security and data. A lot of these things are in our gene genealogy in terms of what the program has. You talk about phase four and data. I mean, these things are cohesive. So to answer your question directly, so immediately we're trying to get agencies into two generous categories when it comes to compliance. One of them is the way that the MMO for zero trust actions to agency talks about uh, using CDM to develop reliable asset inventories. This is action one out of that memo under the device pillar. That That's us, right? I mean, so we are trying to leave an open hand out to agencies. We talk a little bit about the process, right? The baselining process, understanding your current state, making sure any gaps we can document, address them, and then put resources against them on the program side. Uh, that is an effort to get agencies as close to 100% as we possibly can in reliable asset inventories. We're also trying to work this fiscal year into the next one on mobile, because one of the things that we traditionally have not done is uh, provide that same level of protection and capability on mobile devices. So now we have resources to do that. So another offer there as well, a comprehensive device portfolio, not just traditionally on endpoints and switches, et cetera, but we can bring mobile into that equation. And so that's the asset management component as it relates to the device pillar. The other thing that's in there that we do help with through the program is uh, EDR. So action two in that memo under device pillar talks about uh, building out, I think, EDR that's compliant with CISA's requirements, right? This is the first probably area where I'll dive into what we're doing relative to EDR. So you know, this will be a little bit of a, a circular journey here, but the CDM program is multiple things. Uh, one of them, we talked a little bit about the system, right? The other thing that we can do, which is very helpful to, to CISA and to agencies, is we are a very large acquisition program, right? We have teams and processes already pre-built 
that can expedite and bootstrap enterprise initiatives such as EDR, right? We can negotiate with industry, we can work on terms, we can build something greater than individual places going to individual places and doing things siloed, right? And so we're, we've been rolling out EDR aggressively over the last 12 months, and we've been working with our colleagues here at CISA to develop a kind of whole of government strategy and how EDR should be rolled out, not just for the agency's benefit, mind you, but also for a more collaborative type of risk identification and threat reduction paradigm. It's usually agencies have their tools, agencies operate those tools, and then CISA kind of checks in and you know, there might be some manual data call and email exchanges and stuff. EDR is the first place where we are deliberately trying to create a much more unified front with CISA and agencies collectively trying to meet the threats. EDR tools are some of the best protections we can offer on hosts that are available in the industry. And we've been working diligently with our industry partners and our CISA colleagues to make sure that when we go to agencies, we can offer the best in class tooling, try to get them deployed uh, at an enterprise level uh, as comprehensively as possible, and making sure that there is persistent access made available to, to CISA as well so that we can collaborate on that risk reduction. And so to go back to the, to the zero trust conversation, CDM has an open door policy right now on the EDR. So any agency that needs enterprise EDR, our teams are collaborating with agencies to make sure that we understand what kind of investments they need done, how we can help them to get them to fully compliant on action two and that device pillar on that VTA memo. And let me just put a finer point on this EDR endpoint detection and response, just in case the folks weren't sure what the acronym is. There's a lot that float around. And these are capabilities. These are capabilities or services that you all or an agency is being asked to put on their networks. So every time Richard Grabowski logs on to the CISA network, there is a handshake that happens. And I'm going to simplify this, but you'll correct me if I'm wrong or, or help explain it a little better. That says, yes, Richard is allowed to be on the network and he's allowed to, to um, and, and, and his device is meeting current standards or requirements. Uh, can you uh, tell me if I'm close or, or off or what? So EDR tools are much more advanced capabilities that do various things. And it really depends on which vendor we're talking about. They do somewhat deviate depending on who you select. But generally speaking, they are able to bring in very bespoke intelligence, very bespoke technologies like machine learning and AI to proactively look for things that have been broadly seen in terms of threats. You talk about ransomwares or TTPs that are generally widely known or predicted to be known. And the EDR tool itself can pick up on those kind of things. And then you can take some sort of reaction against that, right? So that's where the R comes into place, right? Traditionally, when you have um, you know, a tool that just simply reports data, you would have to understand that data and then a human would have to go and deal with something. EDR tools can really push the envelope in terms of how much automation you wanna do. Some of them have very much orchestration automation built into it so that, for example, to your point, you know, we see certain things going on. Maybe there's some heuristics about a user, to your point. Like Richard has logged in to various, these, these random websites before, and now he's going to these other weird places. And these other weird places are on a known watch list because they've been used for, for know, surreptitious activity. Uh, the EDR tool can maybe be configured to automatically take that machine, isolated, quarantine it for some human to then go take some action against it, right? So it really offers a much more broader suite of functionality than traditionally uh, host-based security technologies have in the past. Um, they also enable a lot more uh, discrete level of reporting and insight into what's happening on hosts, on machines. Um, so that not, not only that if you have some automation you want to use, but if you need to go in and dig and start chaining together very unique behaviors from certain adversaries, 
these technologies and tools to give you that visibility, that deep level visibility into the behaviors, what's going on in the systems, you know, what kind of registry keys are being written, um, you know, what kind of command lines, why is, you know, a command prompt opening these random websites? Like, you can get into that level of detail so that the analyst can really understand, you know, that's kind of strange and we're seeing in multiple places. We probably need to go try to take a look at that. And then, and honestly, they also are a rich source of telemetry for SIM tools and things of that nature. So, there, there really is the next evolution of endpoint-based protections. Um, and we're also seeing great movement into what's being called XDR as well, where you're bringing multiple data sources, not just from your EDR tools, but from other signals from like networking devices or firewalls and bringing it all together in a meaningful way to really help analysts reduce the number of false positive hunting that they're doing across the disparate tools and bring it all together for a unified uh, action for, for analysts. Richard, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. My guest today is Richard Grabowski, the Acting Program Manager of the Continuous Diagnostics and Mitigation Program at the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency in DHS. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Richard Grabowski, the Acting Program Manager of the Continuous Diagnostics and Mitigation Program at the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency in DHS. One important piece to EDR, of course, is this IT asset management. You've mentioned it several times, getting at least a big chunk of the agencies, non-CFO Act agencies, to relook at their baseline and rebaseline them for, for another time, or even some of the CFO Act agencies. Why is IT asset management so important to this EDR and some of these other efforts regarding zero trust? It's almost like that foundational piece, right? Yeah, that's that's the word I would use, foundational. And I think that's kind of the, also the thing that needs to be cognizant for people who are in leadership position in cyber is that there's always going to be the next cool thing that happens um, or the next cool thing that you want to do. But if you can't manage your devices, you can't even understand what your devices look like at an enterprise level. You don't know what you don't know. You have shadow IT running around. A lot of times these more advanced type of things might not be prudent if you can't get the basics right. If you don't know what software is running around on your network, let's postulate that there that tomorrow there's a specific critical vulnerability on a very well-used software and you have no way of understanding how much of that is running on your network. I mean, you got, you got probably fairly big problems there. I don't know if necessarily going to much more advanced tech that's out there as a priority makes a lot of sense in that regards, right? And so one of the things that we're trying to do is get agencies to understand that. This might not be the coolest thing out there right now. You might come in and see a vendor that has this fancy little blockchain, I don't know, I'm just making something up here, blockchain-based, whatever. But, you know, if you can't do this, perhaps you need to reprioritize your resourcing to fix this first. And there's some governance things as well. It's not all just technology, especially if you're a larger agency, getting your components to work with, with you together to get that comprehensive view, right? That's not a simple thing to do. There's governance as part of that. And so, yeah, foundational, absolutely. And we're starting to structure the program in a way that tries to bring agencies along in a, in a responsible way versus just kind of throwing tools at them and hope that they stick. That way they can build something on top of something on top of something, which I think is the best way to do like zero trust implementation is trying to build on successes, connect them to the previous success versus all these random things and then trying to bring them together at the end. Uh, and so when I have to talk about you know, the traditional four, which would have been an asset management, HWAM, SWAM, CSM, and VOL, I don't really have to sell it that hard because people understand, people who know cyber understand, these are things that you really need to be doing like 10 years ago. And they're so foundational to everything, including zero trust. And that usually that usually wins the day. When it comes to IT asset management, again, something that CISA and CDM programs specifically have been working on for quite an amount of time, do you get a sense of where a lot of agencies are? Do you feel like this is a point where 
many agencies, several agencies, some have a pretty good handle on, on what IT assets are on their network, what are being used by their employees and, and networks and systems, or, or is it, again, like a lot of things, it depends. We have 91 different agencies, 91 different personalities, 91 different architectures. So it, it, it's the ultimate, it depends. But broadly speaking, I would answer yes. As a matter of fact, this year we are working with a hand-picked set of pilot agencies to automate things like bot reporting, uh, like FISMA reporting, right? Because we feel that their deployments have reached the maturation stage that done this, this discussion, right? that they're suitable now to not have to worry about manual data calls on certain facets of data. They shouldn't have to ask people to do ad hoc inventory scans or ad hoc vulnerability scans. They should just be trusting in the system that has been built and CISA should trust that system as well. And then that frees up resources then go focus on more advanced things like, like zero trust, for example, or M2131, which is, which is the logging part, you know, building up that, that, that threat logging um, enterprise that they need for, for rapid uh, addressing of threats, things like that. I, I realized it was a bit of a loaded question with the, it depends, right? It's, it's like uh, the, the things are always, could be better, things can always make progress, but it's good to hear that uh, about the pilot. Is there anything more you can tell me? You're looking at three agencies, five agencies, big, small, any other details? Yeah, right now we're working with two very mature CFO Act agencies and two non-CFO Act agencies as well that are in that shared service one. Remember I mentioned earlier that those shared service ones are usually the right for the picking, the low hanging fruit, because not just because we have a little bit more control, we can work with them on a much more detailed level because we control a little bit more of the architecture there, but they're, they're not as big. So the scalability problem isn't as challenging there. And uh, so we're picking two and two. And again, the whole idea here is we wanna help. We, we know that data calls have been around for, for you know decades, right? We want to be part of the answer there. And those are the two that we want to work with, get some feedback, understand what doesn't work, what does work. And we've gotten a lot of positive feedback and where that's going to be another priority for us this year is making sure those pilots are on the ground. And then we can kind of share that institutional knowledge and that value prop to agencies that maybe be struggling, uh, especially if it's a governance issue, right? If they're having a hard time explaining to their leadership, you know, asset management, we need, really need to finish this off and they're fighting for resources. This can be something they can take back with our agency's colleagues in tow and say, look, they've done it. You know, they, they love it. It works. It adds value because it adds resources back to the pot. And so that's something we want to get done by the end of the year. Where are you at with it? And then you, it sounds to me like it's going to be a, a six or nine month pilot with some then results and, and um, understandings by uh, early uh, 2023. Yeah, I don't want to put a concluding date on it because I, I want to make sure that it's, you know, it's quality over quantity type of thing. Um, we did start it off earlier this calendar year. So we've been at this for several months. And one of the things that we want to make sure that we can do is have the confidence of the agencies in the process. So that feedback loop that I was mentioning is very critical. We do not want to just say, hey, this is good enough for us. We don't care what you think type of deal. We want to make sure that they realize that it is their data that we're using and they're fully confident that they have trust in the system before we use it for processes that traditionally they were doing very in a very manual way. Maybe the end date was not the best way to present it because if this works, you're never going to turn it off. It's not like you turn it on, then turn it off. If it works, it works. If it if it doesn't work, you you modify it, you tweak it, you make it better. So I, I get that no end date because uh, I guess it's more about when do you hope to have some conclusions or some recommendations or yeah, absolutely. So uh, proof of concept, pilot, whatever you want to call it. Like we want to wrap that up again this this fiscal year, if not calendar year. That, that's the goal. Uh, and again, it really depends on the amount of resources we have to go after this as well as the agencies as well. Because again, 
another misnomer here to some people is that this is not a unilateral type of thing, CDM. It, it does require the active participation of the agency. So, so yeah, that, that's that's very much uh, the target for, for running this proof of concept down to the ground is the end of the, the, the year. Appreciate that because I think uh, it's it's an important pilot for many reasons, as you all know. Because if you can automate some of these manual data calls, it, that frees up a tons of people. And we've talked about the workforce and the processes challenges that that come with cybersecurity uh, throughout our conversation. When it comes to IT asset management, is there something that that's still a big challenge for agencies? Is there something that you see as you know, so many agencies are still struggling with this piece of it. Is it the move to the cloud? Does that play a role to make things more complicated? Is it what that would you say that, you know, were one or two things or more that you'd say is still a big challenge? Trying to keep that active diligence in terms of prioritization. We can say, for example, that, hey, let's do IT asset management and you'll get one maybe set of responses. But if you were to say, it, hey, let's do zero trust on the device pillar, you might get a completely different one. So that we have to work very closely making sure that ITS remains at the top of the priority list of agencies through all the changes, all the net new things, all the shiny, fancy objects, right? Um, making sure that because there's so many different things going on that we remain relevant to the prioritization conversation, right? So that that's one challenge is just kind of ongoing. We just have to continue to be, be consistent in that messaging that, yes, you need to do IT asset management because Jason, as you mentioned, is foundational. Doesn't make sense to do these other things. We can't do the foundational. All right, Richard, I've learned so much today, and, and, and I could probably talk to you for another 45 minutes, but unfortunately, we are out of time for today. So let me thank my guest. Uh, Richard Grabowski is the Acting Program Manager of the Continuous Diagnostics and Mitigation Program at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency in the Homeland Security Department. Richard, it was great to uh, talk to you and catch up on all the great things you, all the great work you're doing at CDM. Uh, thanks so much for your time. Yeah, anytime. My pleasure. Thanks, Jason. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.